This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks very much for spending part of your day with us, our final 30 of the day. A recent report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention showed that the U.S. birth rate fell to its lowest point in the last 30 years. During 2017, 3.85 million babies were born. The fertility rate for women ages 15 to 44 was the lowest since tracking began more than a century ago. 60.2 births per 1,000 women. And that news suggests that some women who decided to put off having babies until later in life have now decided to forego having a baby altogether. But this this news also becomes important as an economic question for the U.S. for the future. Is there a cause for concern that in 20 to 30 years we will have lower jobs numbers and be struggling to fill jobs? Uh, Gretchen Livingston is a senior researcher at the Pew Research Center who studies fertility and family demographics, and she joins us on the show in uh, just a minute. And also with us is uh, also Hans Peter Kohler of the University of Pennsylvania who joins us on the show as well. Hans, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Great to have you with us. Gretchen, great to have you with us as well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I, I want to get your reaction first to this news, because obviously uh, I think a lot of people are wondering in terms of what these numbers truly mean right now, but also for the future. Gretchen, your thoughts? I mean, I think what we're seeing with these numbers is a continuation of what we've been seeing for about the past 10 years since the onset of the recession. Um, so as far as what it means long term, I think it's difficult to see say for sure. You know, you're right that part of what we're seeing here is could very well be just people postponing births. But I Hans Pater might have a different opinion, but I think experts at this point are wondering, given that it's so many years out from the recession, if um, you know, some people are just not going to be able to make up the births that they've been postponing. Hans Peter? You know, you know, early in my career I looked a lot at very low fertility countries at the time looking at Italy and Spain and some Eastern European countries and then East Asian countries. And the U.S. was always held out as a you know counterpoint to these very low fertility contexts as a high-income country that had achieved relatively high fertility. And there were kind of two models out there that you know were often portrayed as facilitating relatively high fertility in high-income countries. One being kind of the Nordic French model, um, a you know relatively generous social welfare state that you know on one hand provides fairly general subsidies or general provision of public goods to um, families and also tries to improve the compatibility of uh, child rearing and labor force participation through a set of policies, and you know and the U.S. that where the argument was that, in essence, a market-based system of relatively flexible labor markets, market-based um, child care provision, and similar policies was an alternative way of achieving the same achieving the same goal. And the, you know, recession throughout many high-income countries, you know, resulted in a kind of decline, decline of fertility, and that, you know, clearly was a trend reversal in the United States. And 
the really interesting the really interesting pattern about these numbers now is that this kind of downward trend has continued despite the US having, you know, come out of come out of the recession. Arguably the labor market is you know, is very good and the economic uncertainty in young adulthood arguably is a lot lower or for sure is a lot lower than it was a couple of a couple of years ago. And so the interesting question is indeed why this downward trend is continuing in the US despite the fact that the factors that were often argued, you know, resulted in this trend reversal some eight, um, eight nine years ago are no longer prevailing. So, I mean, is it a, is it a concern for you economically already? I mean, is is this something, Hans Peter, that that you have to start to put in your mind as whether or not there is going to be a, a long term impact on this uh, on the country in, in years to come? No, I don't. I don't think this is yet a concern that would change any of you know the general policy concerns that we would have the u.s is aging like many other high-income countries but it's aging a lot less uh we probably want to make sure that the next generation has you know high levels of human capital um because they need to both deal with modern technologies but also support an aging an aging population and so there's a set of general kind of policy recommendations out there how a country like the United States would deal with the challenges provided by the demo- demographics of a high income high income country um, with population aging being you know in the overriding domain and the current numbers would do very little to you know change anything fundamental in these overall policy right. policy recommendations the US you know continue even with these numbers, the U.S. continues to age a lot less slower than uh, many other high-income countries. You know, immigration, the future immigration is obviously highly uncertain, but yeah. arguably immigration rates are higher in the U.S. and continue to be higher in the U.S. than many other places. So, no, I think these numbers wouldn't suggest any, you know, kind of particular new policies or even um, – you know, prompt any specific policy interventions because we know in some ways fertility could go a lot lower. I mean, there are lots of examples of high-income countries that have fertility rates significantly below the U.S. ones. And then, you know, anyway, if fertility were to drop substantially more, then I'd argue one might want to address this maybe more explicitly because it's not clear how the consequences can be managed. But in the current state, I don't think that um, these numbers would warrant anything like this. Gretchen? I mean, I agree with Hans Peter in general. We just, there's plenty of other countries that are at this fertility level or lower, um, and I defer to him on how that's playing out in these other countries. So, you know, I would tend to agree with him. And but, I do still think it remains to be seen what's going to happen in the years to come with people who have been postponing. But also I think, you know, the immigration story is an interesting one um, going forward, just seeing how immigration policy and the climate towards immigrants play out might be somewhat interesting. And I say that just because immigrants account for a disproportionate share of births in the U.S. as it is, and in fact, have been kind of boosting U.S. fertility for decades. So I'm a bit curious to see how that's going to play out in the years to come. Well, and in this data that, that was brought forward, Gretchen, uh, I find it interesting that, that one, the only group of, of women where the birth rate actually increased was women 40 years and older. 
mm-hmm. but also the fact that that teen births also continue to go down as well. And and that those are two uh, interesting uh, uh, areas which have been discussed, uh, especially in the recent past, but where teen births have been concerned, uh, more of a historical perspective over the last few decades. Yeah, teen births have been going down I want to say since the 50s or definitely the 60s, the birth rates have been going down, and they've really gone down precipitously. And as you say, births to older women, particularly those in their 40s, continue to tick up with these new annual numbers. And what these data are really showing is just this continuation of a decades-long trend of the postponement of births. So we've seen you know, the youngest women are becoming less likely to have births, and kind of as you go up the age spectrum, birth rates have typically been ticking up for older women. Now, I will say something that was a little different in these data that just came out was the downtick in birth rates for women in their 30s. It had been the case for the past several years that even birth rates for women in their 30s had been ticking up, and that was not the case in the most recently released data. But at the same time, it's one year's worth of data, and it's provisional data, so I'm not going to read too much into it. But that did surprise me a bit that those numbers didn't also tick up. Hans-Peter, your reaction to those two areas? Well, so, you know, the decline of the teenage birth, I mean, this is widely heralded as, you know, positive news continuing a long-term trend. And so on one hand, I think it's important to recognize that this decline of fertility is, you know, to one part driven by a decline of unintended or mistimed pregnancies, if one thinks that many teenage births are either mistimed or unintended. And... So anyway, there's nothing new in the specific data, but it's the continuation of a long-term trend, and that is good good news. And Gretchen brought up that, you know, key to the future of this, what this means is going to be this, you know, what's labeled postponement of childbearing that for a variety of reasons, individuals and couples decide to have children later later in life, and that has been a very common process in um, across many high-income countries. And Interestingly, in this context, at least on average, the U.S. has been lagging somewhat behind in the sense that mean age at first birth, which is often used as a marker for this kind of the average age when um, women enter parenthood, the um, the U.S. was, you know, lagging behind many other high-income countries, where in many European contexts, mean age at first birth has risen well above 30, 30 years, and in um, in the U.S., I think it's around 26 or so. I might be mistaken, mm-hmm. but it's quite a bit, quite a bit below this, indicating that at least on average, the U.S. has quite a bit more to postpone childbearing. And then, what I find, you know, is interesting in this debate is that presumably the reasons for postponing childbearing, you know, have changed quite a bit over the last 10 years or so, where. At the onset of the recession, a you know conventional explanation was that times are uncertain, and a very rational thing for young adults to do is you put off things that imply long-term obligations. Right. Children are one of them, um, and but this uncertainty arguably has gone down, and there is lots of evidence in these data that this postponement of childbearing isn't stopping and may even be may even be accelerating. So, and continued reason for delaying childbearing might be anything from, you know, increased pressure to invest into the quality of the children, and that requires parental resources. Um, Perhaps, you know, the sense that the labor market may not be 
very good in the very long term, so accumulating labor market experience might be critical to be well-placed when the labor market becomes more uncertain. But it might also be aspects on um, such as housing prices that in you know many yeah. areas in the United States, especially those that you know do very well, housing prices have gone up quite a bit. And if one thinks that the ability to acquire you know adequate housing is one of the preconditions for forming a family or having you know a second child or so, then um, housing prices might be one of the reasons that require young adults or middle-aged adults to you know delay childbearing, increase birth spacing to basically deal with these factors. Well, so this- I'm sorry, Hans Peter, because one one of the other things that that I saw from somebody else is that they even took it out to the point where, you know, in, in kind of the the space that we see in terms of college education and the fact that people are carrying more of a debt load after college, that's another factor similar to what you were talking about with, you know, with owning a home that that increased debt that you have to carry continues to push things out five years, ten years, whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, and so this might well be. So if, you know, if this postponement continues to happen in some ways, if we, you know, have the conditions so these, you know, fertility rates at at older ages can go up, and at least in principle, we know from other countries there's quite a bit of potential for these rates to go go up, um, then it's quite possible that many of these births are mostly delayed to future years, in which case something like cohort fertility, so what are the number of children born to mm-hmm. women at the end of reproductive ages, would be right. quite a bit higher than these what's reported at the moment, total fertility rates, which would mean the number of children that are born to a woman if she were to spend all of her life in the current year. And anyway, that's, you know, these are the things we don't know, but for sure we know from other countries that this postponement does work that fertility at older age rates at older ages can go up and can go up quite a bit quite a bit more and if both kind of general labor market and overall policy conditions are right there can be quite a bit of recuperation of these births at older at older ages well Gretchen playing off of, of something you mentioned with the uh, with the birth rate for women in their 30s, uh, ticking down a little bit as well. It's almost to the point where it seems like one of the decisions may be uh, in terms of that career that the woman is looking to have is that they may not be reaching that point of their career where they feel they, they've kind of reached that, that plateau, whether it be that executive position, whatever it might be, until late into their 30s and maybe into their 40s, they start to think about whether or not they, they feel secure enough where I can go ahead and have my family and still have my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's important what you guys are bringing up, that some of the discussion about the decline in birth rates has been related to the recession and economic shock and maybe continued concern about that or to the extent that that can't be applicable anymore, given how well the economy is doing. But you're right that there's a lot of other things going on that are really much more long-term trends that are probably also playing a role. So increases in education for women and men, um, and increases in labor force participation in women in the workplace are all playing a role in these delays, um, both directly, as you're saying, but also they are related to delays in marriage, which are also 
keeping fertility rates a bit lower because married people are more likely to have children than unmarried people. So, you know, I think there could be something to what you're saying, at least for that small share of women who really yeah. are on a, a true career track as opposed to just having a job. Something that I think in, is important to keep in mind, though, that if we really look at the data by educational level, though, the, the largest drops in fertility have been for less educated women, not for more educated women. Hmm. And in fact, when we look at these measures of um, kind of lifetime fertility, we actually see increases in births to more highly educated women in the past couple decades, which I think is pretty interesting. Hans Peter? No, I, you know, I agree with what Gretchen has said. There are these, you know, educational gradients both in the level, but, you know, interestingly in, in the decline. And in some ways that's, you know, would all be fairly consistent with this kind of postponement postponement story that, you know, anyway, the declines are most rapid in the subsets of the population where the potential to delay is, is largest. And even among, you know, lower educated individuals may maybe good reason to, you know, delay for both career accumulation, again, pressure to invest in child human capital, which I think is for sure going going up. We're talking with uh, Hans-Peter Kohler of the University of Pennsylvania in the Department of Sociology. He's a uh, chair of the graduate group in uh, demography and also with Gretchen Livingston of the Pew Research Center. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. And Hans-Peter, I mean, you mentioned this briefly, but I wanted to come back and touch on it. When you have data like we are seeing in this report from the CDC, and we are also in a time where we are seeing more of the baby boomer generation heading into retirement or, you know, going on and, and, and passing from this world, how do you think those two factors are going to, going to potentially impact us either right now or in the years to come? There has been a recent, you know, interesting revision in how, you know, how negative or concerned individuals ought to be about population aging, which is exactly driven by the two trends that you mentioned, an increased number of the population above age 65 and declining declining birth rates, where traditionally this was, you know, seen as potentially having major impact on living standards, on rates of innovation and related related aspects. And there now has been quite a bit of revisionist perspective in the sense that kind of moderate degrees of aging at a moderate pace, as is, you know, would be um, the case for the United States, may not in at least fundamentally be, you know, undermining living standards or challenge some of the basic engines of economic economic growth driven by, I guess, on one hand, kind of recent evidence about you know the health health declines or ability of older individuals to mm-hmm. work, um, but also kind of a better understanding of you know shifts from both child quantity to child quality, so that you know smaller labor force but perhaps more highly educated maybe um, may actually be better suited for the type of economy we face a couple of decades down um, down the road. So in you know in some ways these kind of this broad world of you know, aging populations with fewer children, more older individuals require a set of, you know, policy responses that are, you know, well-documented, um, if not implemented, but at least we understand these things well. And 
but the perception here is that if and for sure um, kind of systems like social you know social security systems need to have major major reform but what prevailed if you know some time ago that anyway this kind of population aging fundamentally undermines well-being and may you know may undermine the ability of the US to maintain living standards mm-hmm. and there has been quite a bit of revisionist pushback on this and arguing that processes such as population aging might very well be manageable and we just need to approach it and you know make the appropriate policy responses Gretchen do you think that the, that these trends are ones that that will continue in terms of the birth rate in the years to come you know I think it's really hard to know as I said when we look at these annual measures we've been seeing these continued downticks almost continuously since the recession but at the same time when we're looking at completed fertility um, we've seen recent upticks and you know, I think it it remains to be seen what we're going to see moving forward. And I think with the postponement and bursts, it's really still up in the air. Hans Peter? So I'd, I'd argue you know, most, um, that kind of this declines in what's called period fertility, so total fertility rates and number of birth line may continue for a bit and then, you know, may bottom out and prevail for quite a quite a while. Because if we, you know, accept the fact that what is driving postponement is not a, you know, uncertainty in early adulthood, a poor labor market, economic recession, but it's a set of other factors such as, anyway, whether it's housing market, educational changes, pressure to invest in child human capital, and so forth. These are going to be a set of factors that will be with us for quite some time, and in, at least broadly speaking, are not going to be affected by, you know, changes in uh, in the economy. So. You know, we'll agree. I agree with Gretchen here, thinking that if we measure completed fertility, so how many children are born at the end of childbearing ages to cohorts of women, that may stabilize them. That may stabilize at the current level, but the U.S. might see, you know, quite quite a few years of moderately, you know, current level, maybe even a little bit lower fertility fertility rates before they might go up a bit. Great having you both with us. Thank you, Hans Peter, for your insight. Gretchen, thank you as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.